Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy podcast series. Electrification, rise of renewables and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry. Welcome to a new episode of DNVGL Talks Energy. My guest today is Clive Turton, President and CEO of Vestas Asia Pacific. Welcome, Clive. Thank you. Great to be here. Clive, we want to talk about the importance of wind energy in the energy transition. But before we come to this, it would be great if you could introduce Vestas as well as your own background a little bit. Sure. Well, I hope everyone listening knows who Vestas is, um, just in case. So Vestas is a, a Danish company. It is the world's leading renewable energy company. I think it's the world's biggest renewable energy company. Our focus is wind. We manufacture, service, build, transport, and we, we deliver to our customers renewable energy projects. Um, we own projects, we develop them, we, we deliver them. Uh, we work across the world and my responsibility is the Asia Pacific region. So Asia Pacific for us is everywhere except China. So China, we have a separate uh, business unit that runs that and I run India, Australia, Japan, Korea, all through Southeast Asia and South Asia. I've been investors for around three years. I uh, have had a career in energy. I, I, I don't like to talk too loudly about this investors because I I used to work in the coal-fired industry. I've also worked in the gas industry, so I, you know, I come from the dark side. My uh, career has been uh, mostly in Asia. In the last 20 years, I've worked in Asia. I, I started as a lawyer. I worked for 10 years in banking. I ran the utilities and energy sector for one of the world's leading banks here. And then, yeah, for the last three years, I've been uh, at Vestas. Very good. So you converted from the dark side, <laughs> as you just said. And uh, the brand message of Vestas is wind, it means the world to us. Uh, could you explore on that theme a little bit? Sure. I mean, it's it's a it's a great little play on words, if you like. I mean, Vestas originally it was a wind company, sole product, wind. Now we look at ourselves more as a uh, renewable energy company. We deliver projects to customers that include hybrid technologies. We will we'll develop wind and solar together, for example. But at its heart, wind is the world for us. That's what we started at. But obviously, it's a very clever play on words because it's also states the, the company's real message is that for the benefit of the planet, for the, for the benefit of the environment, for the, the real sustainable delivery of energy, the world needs this, right? The world needs folks who are pushing towards a renewable energy future, not just in electricity, but I mean, across the whole, across the whole spectrum. So, you know, it's a nice little slogan. So it captures everything, you know, it captures where we come from, what our DNA is, but also our mission and our message. You know, today, we'd probably talk more about renewable energy and re renewable energy projects rather than just wind. I mean, wind now factors into a much, much larger universe. But to put that into perspective a little bit, you just mentioned that the largest or one of the largest renewable energy firms. How much installed capacity does Vestas have around the world? So we hit 100 gigawatts earlier earlier this year. I, I think it was June, July. So we installed our 100th gigawatt or we crossed over the 100 gigawatt uh, earlier this year. Uh, of which I think around about uh, 85, 90% is serviced by us. It's an interesting thing about the wind industry compared, say, to the conventional power industry is we practically service all of the turbines that we install. Yeah. Impressive numbers. Yeah, it's, it's great. So listening to your messaging, uh, Clive, you talk about disruption when you talk about the future of renewables. And how are you investors as a company looking to disrupt the market and why? That's a really interesting point. I think, you know, It's, it's one of the things we talk about a lot with, with customers, with policymakers, with, with other big energy companies, is the way in which the energy market has already changed, has already been disrupted. 
you know, I sat on a panel the other day and one of the guys sitting next to me uh, said something about, he didn't call it renewable energy, he called it alternative energy. You know, folks like Clive from the alternative energy industry, and I, I rudely interrupted him and said, no, no, it's not alternative. It was alternative maybe 10 years ago, but wind and solar, it's mainstream now. I mean, it's already, we've already disrupted the energy industry. If we were having this conversation five, 10 years ago, you'd be talking about this sort of niche technology, which is interesting and nice, but you know, it's, it's, it's not gonna change the world. Today, it's already changed the world. It's already the mainstream, cheapest form of energy in, in a lot of markets around the world. And a lot of new energy installations are renewable. I mean, the vast majority in, in, in Europe, for example, is, is renewable. So we talk about energy transition, we're already there, right? Today, we've already hit a point where um, we have changed the electricity industry, but it's just at the beginning for us. You know, we see we see the whole industry continuing to grow and change, and renewables continuing to play a big part. In the past, renewables relied on subsidies, relied on government policies to support a higher cost. Today, we've long since hit the point at which the economics are sufficient to incentivize utilities and governments to to want to build more. So, obviously, our mission is to carry on that uh, transition to the point where we really see the, the decarbonization of the energy industry. I mean, that's really where the world is heading and we, we want to be part of that journey. Yeah, we have already uh, kind of proven, especially in the European markets, I would say that grids can take large amounts of renewables. But uh, looking into the outlook, how much renewable we will take on uh, going forward, are there any other disruptions uh, required to make this transformation happen? What's happened in Europe, I think, needs to happen in Asia. Uh, it's, it's one of the, the sort of the disruptions that I see, see in my day-to-day -day work. And the, the conversation that you would have with a policymaker in Southeast Asia about something like, you know, grid stability or energy pricing is very different to the conversation you would probably have with a European policymaker. So there's still a lot of work we need to do in terms of education. We're still having the conversation today about, no, no, renewables actually are a lot cheaper than coal. It's a lot cheaper than gas. And no, no, there are ways to manage grids in very sophisticated ways so you can have a large proportion of your power from, a, from a intermittent sources. We still have a lot of those conversations today with policymakers and players in the industry. We need to continue our journey of educating the public, educating the policymakers about how we can, we can change the industry here in Asia. The next layer of disruption is we need to go beyond electricity. If the world is really going to be decarbonized, if we're really taking seriously the threats of global warming and the need to change the way we act as a whole industry, we need to be looking at transport, we need to be looking at heat, we need to be changing the way those industries are producing carbon. When you look into the required uptake of wind uh, from a investor's perspective, what, what you think needs to happen to support like uh, the energy transition, I'd just like you to take a snapshot kind of where we are today and where we want to go. And if you think, are we on track? And it would be great if, if we could maybe get a bit of a regional flavor into this as well. How are the different parts of the world performing against those targets? Globally, we're in the sort of 5-10% range of, of uh, wind and solar. Uh, as, as part of the energy mix, which which I think most people find surprising. You know, I I gave a presentation, sorry, I'm going to go off topic here a little bit. I gave a presentation recently at my son's school, my uh, my eight-year-old, uh, they're studying uh, renewable energy and, and, and how companies work. So I gave a presentation to all the kids about, uh, about renewable energy and how important it is and how it all works. And one of the teachers asked at the end, how much of the world is renewable energy now? Is it 10, 20, 30, 50%? And when I said five, they were shocked. People don't realize we're still very much at the beginning of this transition. Right? Five to 10% is a tiny portion of the world's supply mix. So, I mean, 
we think that in order to hit the sort of the Paris Accord targets, we need to be up in the 50 to 80 percent kind of range. So there's a long, long way to go. And I think if you looked globally, Asia, I think there's relatively low penetration of renewable energy. I think we are at an earlier part of the of the journey here. If you look in Europe, for example, you've had a lot more time for the industries to develop. So yeah, we're seeing a lot more work to do. In the recent uh, DNVG energy transition outlook, we make the statement that the world needs like five times more wind energy to close the emission gap by 2030. Right. Um, where do you think this growth may come from? Is it more like from emerging markets here, for example, in Southeast Asia, or from existing markets? You've seen the the, the sort of base markets of the of the wind industry, Europe, for example, and also the US, have enormous growth, and and they've had they've had a long transition. I think what you're going to see in the future is across the board energy growth in Asia will account for something like sixty percent of the world's energy growth for the next 10, 20 years. So of that energy growth, we also have the need to sort of increase the penetration of wind. So I think you're going to see a lot of that new wind here because the region needs the energy. The cheapest form of energy in a lot of the countries where the energy growth is so strong is, is renewables. So I, I, I think, I don't know how much faster or how much more Europe or the US can, for example, grow in terms of their energy uptick. But certainly in developing markets and certainly in Asia, and when I say Asia, I don't mean Southeast Asia, I mean, I mean India, China, the Asia-Pacific region, the Southern Asian countries. So across that big chunk, and that's 60% of the world's energy growth, it's also probably 60% of the world's population. This is where it's going to come from, for sure. Clive, I want to change topic a little bit, talking about the change in public perception when it comes to renewable energy. I remember when I came into this industry 17 years back, we were a bit like the tree huggers, uh, begging for <laughs> subsidies and, and feed-in tariffs. And uh, there was a lot of criticism around this. It's all too expensive. Today, right. it turns out it's one of the most important pillars of the energy transition. Uh, so that must clearly have helped a company like Vestas as well. But So if you can expand on this, but nevertheless, having that change, What are still areas where you need help from public, from policy, from governments? It's an interesting anecdote. And I, and I think if you, if you had that same conversation with the energy ministers in this region, you would find folks who still think you're a tree hugger. <laughs> you would find folks who still don't realize that the, the cheapest cost of new energy is wind and solar. And you would find plenty of folks who are very worried about what's going to happen if they connect wind or solar to their grids, what's what the, the, the disaster that's going to engulf their country. So I think one of, the, one of the things we need to be doing is to continue that education. My sense, and this is obviously not my area of expertise, but my sense is that general public like the idea. They've accepted that this is part of the story now and they like, whether you know, whatever your view, the idea of having clean energy is a fantastic idea. Policymakers still need to learn in, in some parts of the world what it is that's happened in Europe. How is it that Denmark manages to generate so much of its power with renewable energy without the grid exploding? How is it that we can actually get cheaper power in a lot of parts of the world? I, I still think that conversation needs to take place. And I, I think sometimes um, we, might, we might neglect that uh, the conversation is already, it's already done. Like I said, I, I think it, it, certain, certain Southeast Asian countries, yeah, you are still a tree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, happy to be. <laughs> uh, when, I, when I browsed through your website, I, I found an, an interesting article about the polluter pace principle. So that would be interesting if you could elaborate a bit on this, what, what that is about. It's, it's a general concept that I think everyone in the industry is familiar with, is that in certain industries, you make money by producing a product that has pollution as a byproduct. 
And that pollution finds its way into the public sphere one way or another. So you can immediately think of examples of polluting of rivers or the oceans or the skies or whatever. There's, there's no cost in certain countries, in certain regulatory environments, there's no cost to producing that pollution. The idea of polluter pays is, okay, if you're, if you're producing a product and you are having an impact on the general public or the general environment that impacts the rest of us, then there's a cost to that. And the person who should be paying that cost is the person who's benefiting from the pollution. That's the general concept. I mean, the, the focus of our sort of our public affairs outreach and our, our dialogue with, with policymakers and, and, and uh, stakeholders is much more about what's the right direction we should be going. I, I don't want to see more coal-fired power plants get built because someone is prepared to pay for the pollution. I don't want to see them get built at all. I want to see us building cheaper and cheaper and more and more reliable renewable energy sources. And, I, and, and that's, that's really the direction we're going. But uh, yeah, that's a, it's an interesting policy concept. And I know it comes up, and up from time to time. But yeah. We hear also a lot about the import and export of renewables, especially from countries who maybe don't have enough space for renewables or they don't have the right climate conditions. Hydrogen might be one medium to do that. What, what do you think about this going forward in the energy transition? Yeah, I think this is really interesting. And I think this is something we will be seeing in the future. If you think about the way LNG, for example, developed, I mean, gas was originally something that was flared off when, when one extracted oil from the, from the ground. And then folks realized it could be used as a fuel, but unfortunately it wasn't close to where the, 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 the demand was. Gas gets liquefied, put in a ship, sent to where it needs to be. If you look at the renewable energy industry or the renewable energy resources of the world, there are large parts of the world where there are massive amounts of renewable resources. You take the Gobi Desert or Western Australia or parts of the Middle East where you have fantastic wind, fantastic sun, but no real demand. If the technology can reach the stage where it's commercializable, we could be producing renewable energy and through electrolysis, you can convert water effectively to hydrogen, Hydrogen is very expensive to transport. You can convert hydrogen to ammonia. Ammonia is relatively easy to transport, relatively. And we could be delivering shipments of, of liquid renewable fuel all around the world. It, and it would hopefully start to look like the LNG industry in 10, 20 years. And that is another huge sea change that could happen in the industry. That would, that would mean we would be able to affect transport, heat, shipping itself with renewable technologies. So it's a very interesting area, and it's, and it's not science fiction. You know, there are a lot of countries around the world that already have policies in place, already looking at how this can be done. You know, creating hydrogen is something, it's a known technology. It's, it's, it's not something that's, that's, you know, pie in the sky. It's just a question of how quickly the costs come down. And if you were to look at a graph of uh, solar or wind costs 10 years ago, it would have said it would take forever for it to get to the point where it's commercializable. The graphs of hydrogen costs look the same today. And so, you know, it, it's just a matter of time. So, Clive, I have uh, one last question to you. What is Vestas doing to harness this new collective focus on climate emergency to progress the energy transition? Well, we're going to keep on doing what we're doing, right? Uh, at its heart, our, our goal is to build more, grow more, build this industry, bring it to the public's attention and help create a, a better environment for everyone here. Um, and we're going to continue to drive our business in conjunction with policymakers and the public to deliver that message and build out the industry. And, you know, and we're also, we're also quite interested in, in what we can do even further. I mean, the, the, the next step in this transition is going to be bringing electricity or bringing green energy to transport or green fuels themselves. We will be, we'll be looking 
interested at the, the hydrogen economy, for example, how we can be part of that as well. Uh, the other thing we're doing, which I, I think is very exciting, is we're partnering with Mercedes for Formula E, the electric version, the renewable version of the Formula One uh, competition. Very good. Thank you very much, Clive, for these great insights. And uh, thanks for listening in. That was Clive Turton, the president and CEO of Vestas Asia Pacific. Thank you for listening to this DNVGL Talks Energy podcast. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnvgl.com slash talksenergy.